Well, welcome. Thank you so much again for coming tonight. This is one of the coolest parts of our church because we can't get you guys to sit down and shut up. That's the exciting part. And all joking, I, I sometimes make a lot of jokes, but the beauty of a church wanting to see people and love on people and build in people is really what's exciting to me. Uh, it's, it seems like I've been gone for a long time. Last Wednesday, me and my wife and my daughters went to Hillsong, and it was my daughter's first concert. And uh, I also went to two churches this weekend as I was out of town. And one church, nobody worshipped. The other church, the worship was so awesome, and the poor worship leader was just begging the church to sing. And they, it was awesome. The place was called the Desperation Band. This was an amazing church. And you know what? We don't have that problem here. We got to get you guys to calm it down a little bit sometimes. But that's really a blessing, honestly. As I've been, I was in Colorado Springs doing a funeral to go to two different churches and see how people worship and then to come back and see how you guys love Jesus. Man, that makes my heart just warm. And so praise you guys for that. And we were louder right now, and the both churches, one had 3,500 people, the other one had 10,000. And you guys were a lot louder and so excited, so praise God for that. Amen? Well, I don't know if you guys are counting, but it's been a while since they've allowed me on Wednesday nights, so I've been on restriction, I guess. Uh, and the truth is, the reason why I kind of stepped off of Wednesday nights is there's a bunch of young people raising up that wants to be leaders and pastors, and I want to get out of the way. I want to get out of the way and give them opportunities to teach. So I basically took myself off of the rotation on Wednesday so that people can treat, preach more because this church is going to plan a much more churches. And we need these guys to get used to teaching. And so that's what we're doing here. Now, on Wednesdays, as Sundays, we gather because of one reason. Does anybody know what that is? Jesus Christ. We gather in the name of Jesus because that is who our Lord and Savior is. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel something inside of me right now. And I was posting on Facebook today, God's moving. I mean, I've seen it over the few weeks, marriages and, and excitement and kids' highs and lows. And the, the worst part of the season is for me because I watch my girls during the summer and summer's coming. So I was hoping that we extend summer this year and they just go to school for year round. No, my girls are good. But God is moving and, 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 I, and I hope he's starting to move in you. And if, you're, if he's not moving into you today, I hope by the end of today that you will get that flicker again. And someone next to you will flam the flame so that you'll walk away going, yes, even though I'm dry, it was singing, even when we're dry, we still praise him. So let's fan that into flame. Now, today we're continuing. This is week two of probably a 20 or 30 week series of going through the book of Corinthians. Now, on Sundays, we teach a different style. We take a section of scripture and we just say, God, speak to us. And he gives us a chunk of scripture and we pr present that on Sunday. On Wednesday, we stay true to the word by word style of teaching because we want to have a variation of who we are as a church. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing a book from Ephesus to the church in Corinth. And there's some problems. I don't know if you guys realize, but the church has problems sometimes. 
We have good problems most of the time, but we do have problems, and, and we do have problems. But the Apostle Paul is writing, he's from Ephesus, he was at a church for 18 months, he planted a couple of house churches, but there's this movement of God in the city of Corinth, and now he's gone, it's been a couple of years, and he's writing a letter because they're having problems. And here are some of the problems that their congregation is dealing with in, in, in Corinthians. They're dealing with division, immorality, and it was really sexual immorality. They, they, they worshipped uh, Aphrodite. And she was the, they had a temple there and there were a thousand temple prostitutes. You guys can imagine what that meant. There was all kinds of chaos. They were having lawsuits amongst Christians, what the Bible says is ridiculous. There's a lot of selfishness. At the Lord's Supper, they were abusing and, and, and really making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. They struggled with the idea of spiritual gifts, and we'll talk a little bit about some of that struggle today. And they were denying the resurrection. The farther away people got from Jesus resurrecting, the Christian community started going, that really didn't happen. Because people were starting to die off and there was less and less people that saw Jesus during that resurrection. And the last thing is there was a bunch of questionable practices. Now, one of the reasons why I'm up here today is because we have a problem. Today we're going to talk about division in the church. And we have a church problem. And it, it kind of started last week and so I thought I should get up here. So we are a divided church. And, and, and I know it sounds a little scary, but I've got this on the screen to tell you kind of where we're divided. There's a problem with this church. Some of us know the good side and some of us go to the bad side. But there's a worldly team and then there's a heavenly team. I just want you guys to know where we stand as a church. One's from God's side of the street and the other one is not. So that's why I'm up here. I, you know, there's all I live in Dodger country and I hate the Dodgers. I'm sorry. But listen, I'm learning forgiveness. I'm really forgiving. But when the Dodgers won in preseason, everybody's on my Facebook and texting me, oh, how great it was. But then when we win 3-1 last week, no text at all. Not even one. Kershaw had a great game and I got a couple of texts, but... Otherwise, uh, we are the worst team in the NL, uh, the AL, and we're still beating you guys. Hey, who switched that? <laughs> we need some deliverance in this place. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter, and he's, he's struggling because if you've ever been in a church plant, and we're a church plant that's really grown. We're no longer really a plant. We're not this young, small church anymore. We're, we're growing into ourselves and we're becoming a, a, a really powerful place in the community for people to come. And the Apostle Paul started that. He sat for 18 months and said, let's get people excited and understand the correct direction that God wants a church to go. And now he comes back and there's some struggles here. And he's writing in chapter 1, and I'm just going to give you the theme for the beginning of chapter 1 so you can get your mind on what he's trying to do. Last week, I, I, I wasn't here, but I know Jeremy kind of opened up with the salutation and, and the first nine verses. And last week, he was really calling us out to be holy. The beginning of this chapter, he's saying, I want, to, I want your life to be enriched by Jesus. Called to be holy, set apart for the glory of God. 
And then today, we're going to go from chapter 10, and we're not going to get quite to the end of 25, but from 10 to 25 in our chapter, it's a call to fellowship. One of the things that we don't struggle with at Journey. Some people come in here going, wow, that church is a little huggy, lovey, and a little crazy for Jesus. And some people don't like that, so they leave. But the people that stay are like, yeah, this makes me feel like comfort and home. And so in, 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 in 10 through 25 in chapter 1, it's a call to fellowship. And the last five, six verses is a call to glorify God. We come here to practice our glorifying God muscle, right? We come together, not just, you guys shouldn't be judged or waiting for a nugget of wisdom from God, from the pastor. My, myself, Bruce, Ed, any pastor in town, Charlie, you should be hoping that the Bible will speak to you and give your own nuggets. And we come together to be able to glorify God saying, that was good. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I need in my life. So this, this Paul is writing a letter and he's reminding us, we are holy we are called to fellowship, and we are truly called to glorify God. And that's what we try and do here today. Um, as I was looking about God moving in my heart, man, I, I had this crazy morning. And I, I've been kind of off of Facebook because I'm, I'm kind of down on Facebook right now. And, uh, and I, this, this morning I was like studying for the message and just reading. And I was just worshiping, and I could feel God move in, in, in great and amazing ways. And and, and I found this post, and I posted it today, but I don't know if you guys saw it today. But can you put up the slide, that blue slide, Tucker? Blessed is the man who finds out which way God is moving and then gets going in the same direction. That's one of the purposes to come to church. I like, I don't know if you guys know this, but not all the time are the pastors on fire for God. Most of the time in a good church, you're the ones on fire, and we're like, hey, can we meet? And you're like, yeah, sure, let's meet. And we're trying to meet to get that fire on us again, right? That's the beauty of church. We come together to get us pointed in the right direction. And we've decided as a church to go two times a week because the week's long. Sunday to Sunday without a midweek, man, it's forever and a day. You know? And so one of the reasons that we do is we meet twice because Sunday to Sunday is too long. So hopefully if you're not in the right direction and you don't feel God moving, that's okay. Get around that person that's on fire. And there's a bunch here. And let God move you in that direction. Amen. Hey, if you're able to stand, let's stand and read from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. This is another form of worship, standing and taking the word of God that has transformed more lives than anybody. It's served more than Burger King has served burgers. Or is that McDonald's? McDonald's is the one that's got six billion served. Wow. That's a lot of burgers. It says this, Corinthians 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be, may be no division among you and that there may be perfect, uh, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Let's just open up and pray. And as I pray, you should pray too. Let's all be filled with the Spirit and watch God work in all of us. Father, in, in the name of Jesus Christ, I know your Spirit is descended upon us and resting upon our souls. Speak to us so that we can have so much today. That we can walk away knowing that you are moving and that you've redirected us to go towards you. Or if we're already moving, Father, you are pushing us into a deeper, better place, Father. Speak in mighty ways in your name. And all God's people said... Amen. Go ahead and sit down.
please. That's kind of rude. So the Apostle Paul is writing and he's talked about being holy and set apart. And now he's talking about, I am appealing to you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Now, when he says brothers and sisters, this is the NIV. Um, this is the NIV translation of it. And, and the NIV has gone very politically correct. And it actually does mean the whole church. I know Jeremy talked about it a couple of years ago. But when it says brethren... It's talking about the whole church. It's not just a male-driven church. It's the whole church. And that's what he's talking about here. I appeal to you, brethren, and, and that's the correct term. And it says that, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ, we all need to be in agreement. Let no divisions come. The word for divisions is this skahima. And it almost sounds like um, schemes. It's got this kind of, if, you, if I pronounce it correctly, skasima, then you could see this division almost sounds like schemes, the devil's schemes, that no division come before you so that you can be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now that thought word is not a very good translation in the NIV. The best translation is that we have the same judgment. So we should be right with our mind and also right with our same judgment so that we don't have this skyema, this division. Does that make sense? So the Apostle Paul is appealing to Corinthians and saying, listen, all that you're doing right now is hurting the church. And I want you to put aside the division and get your mind and your right judgment together and be unified. Now, brethren, it says, I appeal to you, brethren. Brethren in the Greek is a medical term, and it means to join together perfectly. It's like remembering. If you lose your arm or your finger, you hope that the doctor can remember it correctly. And that's what he's saying. The actual term brethren is a, is a medical term, but in the biblical term, it's an actual term that means that we are united as one body. That's what the word brethren means. And so he's saying, brethren, one body, let's all come together because we're in division right now and we're broken. Now, what I want to do right now is I, I want you guys to make sure you're at a table. And I want to do this quickly. I know you guys like to gab a lot. There's a couple gabbers in this place. You know who you are, by the way. At the table, we got two minutes because then we're going to spend about five minutes on this whole process. I want you at the table. Here's the question. Please come up with a statement about Jesus that each table 100% agrees with. All right? You guys all got to agree. If you're not 100%, you say, I don't agree. And then you guys come up with something that unifies. And once we do that in two minutes, every table really quick is going to tell us. So go, two minutes. Everybody's got to agree and unify on it. Okay, we've got some tables done already, so. Once you guys are unified, pick someone that's going to represent what you guys agree with, and then they're going to stand up and share. You guys are done too? Okay. You guys done? We're good? Okay, another, another 30 seconds or a minute, and then let's get going, because I want to hear every table be unified on something. Okay. 
Okay, you guys ready? If you're good, everybody look up here. It's the first time everybody's paid attention to me. All right. You guys ready? Uh, this table was first, so who's your representative? Stand up and tell us what you're unified on. Yeah. Say it again. You got to make sure everybody hears you. Jesus is perfect love. All right, let's go. We just got to go. Stand up, you guys. Jesus is all. Nice. Go ahead. Stand up. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is Lord. I don't even think you got it in your head. I... Jesus conquered death for everybody's sin. Paul. What was it? One more time. Jesus is everything to us. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus saved. Ted. Jesus is God. Stand up, lady. Introduce yourself. Hallelujah, Jesus. Who hasn't gone yet? Let's go. Jeremy's table, they're still disagreeing. What? He helps people? Oh. Jesus heals people. How about that lady's table back there? What is it? Jesus is our everything. Amen. Now, it's easy in a Christian church to unify on Jesus, hopefully. You would hope, but it doesn't always happen that way. If we start talking about other things of gifts and baptism and laying hands and certain things on communion and how to do it, then you start getting very divisive. Because we grow up in different things and we take our environment. And that's what's happened here. Everybody, that everything that you said is true and everything that you said the Apostle Paul taught this church. But over time, they started to winnow away and all of a sudden, everything was starting to get murky. Right? Who likes to go into the lake when it's murky? My wife thinks the catfish are going to eat her feet when the murky water, right? She doesn't like murky water, so... So let's continue. So there's some problems in the church. And if we asked you guys some questions, you would see that it would be harder and harder to unify the farther you get into the text of of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Let's continue reading. Verse 11 says this. It says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So as we are going on Sunday, we're doing this Wonder Woman of the Bible. So I'm going to do a three second study on Chloe. Who is Chloe? I always ask questions. Who is Chloe? Why is she important? Why is her name in this text? Well, here's some things that we can grab hold of, and they're not, they're not rocket science. First of all, we assume or can, can say that she's, um, a Christian, right? We assume that. In Corinth, so that's who Chloe is. She has a house, or she manages a house. She has a house, uh, and she knows the Apostle Paul, 
and she's concerned with something that's happening within her congregation or within the church. That's what we can grab hold of when we think of that verse. But there's something about Chloe that we must stop for a second and really commend her. She should be commended for what she's doing here because she realizes that there's a problem and she's willing to put her name on the problem. Do you know how many secret notes a church gets about problems? The sound is too loud. Unknown. (laughs) Jeremy's not as funny as Jeff. (laughs) Signed everybody. There's a lot of people that want to get things fixed, but they don't put their name on it. And Chloe says, there's so much problem. I want you to tell them, Paul, that I'm telling you I'm the one that's calling them out. Who likes confrontation? One of my greatest spiritual guiding people in my life hates confrontation. And she is my sister. And if you've heard my sister, she's bold. And I'm like, woman, what are you afraid of? You scare everybody. We just don't like confrontation, you know? I don't necessarily like it, but I get in the middle of it all the time. And we have to be, and Chloe should be condemned because she's willing to confront and said, my church is struggling and I need some help. We got division all over the place. Please, Paul, help us. And that's why Paul is writing this letter. Now, I don't know if you guys know where quarrel comes from, but there's a definition and we kind of have this theory or mindset here. I think Randy and Odell and Jeremy have said this many times. It says we should let the Bible teach us what the, the definitions are. Where are quarrels come from? James 4.1 says what causes quarrels, fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that battle within you? You know, when you struggle with people at work or at school or at church, don't you struggle because they remind you of yourself? Right? We look at it and go, who is this fool walking in acting all cool? And I'm like, oh, I see myself in that person. That's why I'm a little frustrated. And the Bible teaches us what causes quarrels are things that come from inside of us. It continues to say in verse 2, it says, you desire, but you do not have. So we kind of kill or murder these people in our heads, right? I hate these people. Why are they in front of me in the, in the freeway? Why are they in front of me in the grocery store? And it says you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. And this is what's happening in this church. There's all kinds of division happening. And most of the division is happening between our two ears and in our heart. Now, there's really four different mindsets in the church at this time. One is a little bit murky. I talked about murky because I kind of made it up. But I, I think it's true because of the, the culture. I didn't really get the, the I didn't really get a firm for sure. But in Corinthians at the time, there was a philosophical culture. They were this really philosophical, wordy, knowledgey. Let me think at the coffee shop and tell you what I think. Kind of culture, very philosophical, a lot of philosophy. And philosophy's fine, but all they do is ask questions and think. They really never solve anything. You know, I had a friend in, in Chico, which is the greatest school of all time, and uh, he had a philosophy major, and I said, what are you going to do? And he goes, I have no idea what I'm going to do. He's probably still sitting at the coffee shop with Andrea 20 years later. But it's a philosophical, it's all they're doing is asking questions. There's another thing that the, the Corinthians were struggling with, and it was humanism. Do you know what humanism is? We have it in our church. Humanism is, I don't know what Jesus would look like, but I see it in other people. 
John coming up and presenting the gospel, I could see it. My mom is a great servant of the Lord. You can see it. The way people serve, you're like, yeah, I can see it in humans. And so we're like, I can see the gospel. And so they took humanism, but humanism was a divisive place because they were no longer allowing that Jesus resurrected. It was all about humans and what they could do. Another one, and this is kind of the murky one, is they were having immoral lifestyles come into the church. This was a very immoral place. It was the Vegas of the time. And so there was a lot of immorality, and it happens in today's church. People go out and party uh, Monday through Saturday and then come into church Sunday and said, I spent an hour and a half in church. I feel good about myself because at least I did that, right? And unfortunately, I've been there. I've spent a moment or section of my life doing that in church. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing condemning but living a lifestyle. But we bring in our immorality and then we go back and live it out. But that culture and that mindset and the way that we live our life and the way that we watch and do things comes back in. And that was a mindset that was really they were struggling with. And the last one was there was just Christians. And Christians have a mindset as well, right? We want to trust in God. We got to love. So you could see these different mindsets and the division that the Apostle Paul is trying to write with. And he says in verse 12, he says, One of you, uh, what I mean by this is, one of you say, I follow Paul. Another say, I follow Apollos. Another, uh, Peter. And still another, another, Christ. The question is, who do you follow? At this church, we're, we're making fun uh, we're putting a new website together and uh, we're, we're putting our bios together the other day and we have this one and we don't have the guts to show you, but if we did, it would be really funny. But we have Jesus Christ as our senior pastor. That's who our senior pastor is. The rest of us that, that are on leadership at this church or a pastor, we're just associates to what God wants to do, Right. And that's what Paul is trying to talk about. The humans want to follow Paul. Hey, I follow Paul. I was in his first church plant. I know the Apostle Paul. Apollos was this amazing speaker and really good looking, very similar to me. And he was, uh, that was a joke for some of you. But the Apollos had this great way of speaking. And if you remember Acts, he also had to be taught the correct way because he was speaking stuff that he didn't really understand. But he was a dynamic speaker and people were flocking to hear Apollos. And then you were looking at Peter and then Christ. The question is this, as the Apostle Paul is writing, he's saying, who do you follow? Do you follow Francis Chan? I used to listen to Francis Chan two or three times a week. Charles Stanley. I like all kinds of pastors. But I don't necessarily follow them. I follow Jesus. And you guys shouldn't put humans before your God. You need to put God and then watch God work through the human beings. We are his hands and feet. In Mark chapter 8 verse 34 it says this. Christ comes and says this. And this is where Paul is going back to. He heard this story and he knows the gospel truth. And here's what, he, he, here's what he's really revisiting. He says, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must turn from his selfish ways and pick up the cross and follow me. So Paul is not going to pick up Jesus' cross because Paul didn't go to the cross to die for your sins. Neither did I, neither did Britt from reality or Bruce from Calvary or Ed from Crossroads. None of us 
or anybody that could be on the cross for your sins. Only Jesus could be. And that's what he's saying. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, pick up your stuff and follow me. Don't follow mankind. Because mankind will lead you into a, a dark and desolate place. I want to put this thing in your head. And, and I'm, I'm just going to touch it and I'm going to let it sit. And you guys, you know, if you're here with someone or if not, just touch it. God needs to be everything in your life or he needs to be nothing. And I've learned this in my life. And, and, and God needs to be everything or he needs to be nothing. The Bible tells us in Revelation, it says, you either be hot or you're going to be cold and you're better off being cold than lukewarm. Most of us live in a, in a place of lukewarm. I would say in myself, and I'm being, I'm, I'm gauging, I'm about 80 or 85% all for Jesus, but I'm sure I'm still holding on stuff, right? But most of us sit at this 45 and 50%. And I've been working really hard and, I, and I'm, I'm being very gracious. I'm probably more like 60%, but... Um, we need to get into a place that God is everything or God is nothing because if he's nothing to you, it says you'll be treated better than being lukewarm. Amen? Let's continue. 13 says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I did not baptize any of you. And then here's Paul and he's like, oh wait, I forgot. He says, oh, except Crispus and Gaius. So none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. And then he's like, oh, wait. Oh, yes, I baptized the household of Stephanus, too. Beyond that, I don't remember anybody else I baptized. So it's kind of a funny thing there because he's saying, hey, listen, I, I, nobody, I didn't really baptize any of you. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. I forgot that guy. And then I got that guy. And the whole house of Stephanus uh, as well. And that could be 15 or 20 or 30 people. A household is a lot of people. Back in those days, they had a bunch of people. So the apostle Paul kind of goes, oh, yeah, wait. I guess I did baptize a lot of you. And what's happening there is this. People are saying, I follow the Apostle Paul because he's the one that planted this church. And another person saying, well, I follow Apollos because he speaks so much better than anyone. And he's the one that we all fill the Holy Spirit with. And then another one says, no, I follow Peter because Peter is the foundation of the church. And he's the one that makes everything happen in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul is writing and saying, no, you don't. We all need to, brethren, come together and follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here, here's, here's one of the big conflicts. There was a big point of division, and we're going to ask one more question, and then we'll get out of here. They're asking, is Christ divided? Now, when we see that, we, we, we hear an answer in our head today. No, Christ isn't divided. We know that he's everything. We just unified all on that. But what Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing here is, was Christ given to everybody and everybody took a different part? And really, this is a grotesque thing. Did you get the head of Christ and did you get the arm of Christ and did you have the torso of Christ and do you guys have the leg of Christ? That's what they're talking about. Did each and every one of us get a different part of Christ? Because the philosophers and the immoral behavior was bringing in and changing people from what the original gospel text was. And so everybody's saying, no, I got something different from God. And a little bit later in chapter 12, probably in 20 weeks from now, we'll talk about the gifts and how the gifts are. And throughout, uh, throughout this book, I'm sure we'll engage in that. But these people are really saying, because they were philosophical and thinking, no, Journey the Church got the head of Jesus. And, and, and 
And the other church down the street would say, well, we got the torso. And they were talking about dividing Christ. And the text says, no, we all are the same. We might have different gifts, but we all have the same God. We live in the same spirit and we have the same Jesus Christ that is all our Lord and Savior. And he's not different parts for everybody. Does that make sense? Mark chapter 3, verse 24 and 5 tells us about this. If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided, a house can't stand. Now, I don't know about you, but when you guys are in a war at home with your spouse or your kids, it's hard to have peace and unity, right? It's the same at work. It's the same in our political system right now. We have moved to extremes right now in our political system, in our country, and we've moved to extremes in our culture, in the world. And because of that, there's a lot of chaos and confusion. And every side believes, well, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat and we're all right. And the others are wrong. And the truth is, there's probably all wrong. And all we can do together is rally around who Jesus Christ is. So I want to ask one more question. I want to spend about five minutes on this. And this is one of those gut-wrenching ones that I'd like to hear you guys Not me personally, but the table. I want to open this up. Are you divided? Here's the question I want you to answer. Are you divided? Where in where are you divided in your head or your heart that creates distance from God? Where are you divided? Is it maybe you're focusing on your job right now, or maybe you're focusing on finances? Where is your heart separated from God that's not allowing you to give that hundred percent? So go ahead. Let's spend a few minutes, and then we'll close with the last few verses.
Okay, uh, we got to wrap it up just because we're going to run out of time, but uh, I'm going to give you like one more minute because I know there's some chatty Cathy's out there, so... All right. Are we divided? Uh, everybody here is holy. Oh, this table's lev- uh, levitating right there. Some of the things that I've been divided on is uh, most of it. I look back is just prideful stuff, right? Stuff that's holding me back, right? There was a moment in church that I was struggling. I remember uh, probably about 12 years ago, I was thinking about leaving Camarillo, 13 years ago, about leaving Camarillo because it was this sleepy town that you just raised kids in. And at that time, I didn't have kids. I did, but I wasn't raising them. So, um, And I remember leaving and I was divided with some prideful things pushing me out. And another year later, I meet my beautiful wife and I'm blessed beyond belief. So sometimes we're divided in our own head and the quarrels and stuff separate us. And so that's why we're asking the question, are you divided? We always say we're 100% in. Yes, I 100% forgive. Yes, I 100% love you. Yes, I 100% am letting go. But the truth is, it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go. I'm raising teenage girls. Actually, my wife is, but don't tell her that I said that. Um, It's hard to let go, you know. I don't know how my parents dealt with me. I was a pain in the butt. It's hard to let go. And we get divided on that. Like, I've got to steer. I've got to control. And you know what? I, I made it, barely. But by the grace of God, I'm here. And so sometimes we need to let go and not be in so much control. And that's hard because we're divided on that. I'm raising kids, right? I guess my wife is. So I'm just helping her. Here's the last verse. It says, for Christ did not send me. So here's Paul. He's talking about it. And he says, hey, I didn't come. And don't think about me being this great person because I baptized a few of you guys and I was part of this church plan. He goes, the point is, as a pastor and as a church planner, my job, and I'm saying this to you as the Apostle Paul would, is to point you to Jesus. You know, I got a text today from the girl, me and this lady at church were texting and we were talking and she's like, you're my rock. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know who I am? I'm going to fail you all the time, right? I'm going to cancel an appointment on Friday night and somebody really needed to meet and we're going to fail. I'm going to fail. But Jesus doesn't fail. And so we can't be divided on that stuff. We just got to push in and believe and not put our help into a man. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. He's coming and he's not saying baptism is bad. We all should be baptized. Because it confesses to the world that I'm putting Jesus in, in front of me and my life. 
That's great. But he's saying, I came to preach the gospel like Brother John came up and was killing it today. I'm thankful they threw that paper away. That sounded good, what he said today. But he says, I'm coming to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence to lessen the cross, but to do it so that I can just give you the gospel truth. The truth about Jesus, when you read the word, is more powerful than anything. It doesn't need any slick PowerPoints and anything to really present it. If it's just opened up and you hear it, it's real. The following verse says, uh, "For the, the cross is foolish to those that are leading to destruction. But to those that believe, it's the power of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to do as he's going to a place where a church is divided. Some are thinking in human terms. Some are trying to bend the truth in a philosophical way to make their things slick and cool. Some are bringing their immoral behavior in. But the truth is, the Apostle Paul is saying, Chloe is giving me good tools to come in and preach to you. And I need you to read this letter to everybody. Just like we're reading it today. So that the church can be unified and not divided. And all of us and all churches that believe in Jesus Christ could unify on these 10 or 11 tables and what you guys said tonight. We can all unify. Jesus is our everything. Jesus is a healer. He's a redeemer. He's defeated the, he's defeated the grave. He's our eternal life. He saves. He heals. We can all agree on that because that's the truth. The Apostle Paul writes, and I'll, and I'll close with this verse, it says, Three things will last for other, faith, hope, and love, and of the greatest is love. We can surround ourselves in that. That's why this church is important to this community. And I'm talking about all of Ventura, and it's going to be Southern California one day, and Hawaii and wherever else we go, a group of people are going to go to a Savaka church plant, and... Love is the thing that the Apostle Paul really want to get, wants to get us to. That God loves you so much that he died and that that death brings so much to your life. And it's not just a ticket to heaven. It's to save you from yourself each and every day so that you're no longer separated from God. You're connected to God. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you that we can unify around you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I ask in your name, Lord, will you just speak great wisdom and truth into us that we can all rest upon in our soul tonight. Let us all sleep well and understand that you are our Lord and Savior, that you save, you heal, you redeem, and you move us out of sin and into that holy place, Father. We love you. With all that we are, Lord, and we submit our hearts to you as we walk out of this place. We say these things in the name above all names, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.